Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, spring weather means spending more time outdoors for ourselves and our pets. I'll tell you how to avoid the many dangers that can threaten our four-legged family members this time of year. Also coming up this morning, earlier this year, the city of Findlay announced a broad annexation plan that left many residents confused. Now, city leaders are attempting to clarify that plan and what it does and doesn't mean for owners of those affected properties. Mayor Christina Mern will join us. And we'll get details on spring programs and events from the Findlay YMCA in the month of April. Director Stephanie Parsons will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. So the big story today, everybody's going to be talking about this. Donald Trump slated to surrender to a Manhattan court later this morning where he will be arraigned and booked um, on charges uh, relating to the hush money payment to uh, Stormy Daniels. You know the story, right? Here's the thing that I don't uh, understand. Uh, Apparently, they're going to fingerprint him, which, okay, uh, you're going to fingerprint him, get him into the system, you know, just in case the cops show up at a crime scene sometime they lift fingerprints and they need to match it to somebody um i just what are the likelihood that donald trump's fingerprints would ever be uh, needed for that but even more bizarre to me is that apparently uh they will they will take a mugshot they will take a mugshot of donald trump now think about this the purpose of a mugshot is it not to be able to identify a suspect, put a face with a name in case the police would ever have to, I don't know, show uh, mugshots to a, a suspect or, you know, visually identify an individual who is named in a criminal case. Is there any chance <laughs> that you would need a mugshot to identify Donald Trump? Uh, and, I guess, and, and the other thing with a mugshot is to have a photograph in the event that there aren't any other photographs of the suspect in in a case so that they have a... Donald Trump's photograph has been taken, I don't know, about 12 billion times in, in his lifetime. What, what do they need a mugshot for other than just to humiliate him? I, I don't know. I just don't understand why they would need a mugshot specifically. Anyway, um, one of Trump's attorneys is arguing his mugshot should stay out of the public eye because the incriminating photo won't make him look good as he prepares for his re-election campaign. Um, on the other hand, I if you know some of Donald Trump's supporters, they would use that as a campaign photo. <laughs> You know, they use that as a motivational uh, thing to get out and support the former president. Look what they're doing to him. So uh, anyway, um, the lawyer says releasing the mugshot is not going to help anything and made the point that mugshots are not generally public available without a records request in New York State. So we'll see. I just don't understand why they're going to take a mugshot in the first place. Why do you need a mugshot of Donald Trump, of all people? 
I don't know. But anyway, um, this is kind of cool. Some of the other uh, first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. I don't know how I missed this yesterday, but yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the very first cell phone call. The very first call made using a portable phone happened 50 years ago this week, 50 years ago yesterday, on a sidewalk on 6th Avenue in Manhattan. The historical call marked the beginning of a new age, even though cell phones would not be a major staple of society for another 10, 15, 20 years at least. It was 50 years ago yesterday, the very first portable phone call. The man who made that call is now 94 years old and says he is not surprised at all that cell phones have caught on like they have over the past five decades. He said, we used to to say back then that someday you would be assigned a phone number the moment you were born. And if you didn't answer the phone, you'd die. (laughs) Well, we're not quite to that point yet, but uh, I can see that. I mean, you think about how out there is the idea that, I mean, we give babies social security numbers the moment they're born. Uh, Certainly cell phones... Uh, are now as ubiquitous in society as anything else, why not assign a phone number (laughs) to every child the moment he or she is born? A new survey finds just how vital mobile phones are to people. Nearly 72% of those in the survey could not imagine going more than a weekend without their mobile phone. While... uh, 23% believe that they could last an hour at most. One in four of us believe that we could not go an hour without our phones. 41% are more willing to give up the gym than their phones. Uh, 25% of millennials say that they would give up TV for their phones, which that's an easy trade-off because you can watch TV on your phone, right? So I'm not sure that that's uh, that big of a sacrifice. 22% in this survey would even give up sex (laughs) for their mobile phones. Now, that may be a problem. That that could be a larger problem. But 50 years in the first mobile phone call this week. Uh, Pretty pretty amazing. That is a milestone to be sure. By the way, speaking of uh, phones, you know, it used to be if you needed to reach out and get a message to someone, you'd call them, right? And uh, even though phones are everywhere these days, calling someone with an urgent message a lot of times has, has kind of fallen by the wayside in favor of texting, which is kind of the irony of uh, today's phones is that we don't really call people as much anymore. We text them. Now, texting has sort of waned and the new thing is sending a voice message not calling someone and leaving a message but sending a voice message without actually calling someone first it is a feature that is built into whatsapp imessage telegram and other apps 62 percent of americans say they have sent a voice message 30 percent say they communicate that way on a regular basis multiple times a day Uh, WhatsApp has reported over 7 billion 
voice messages daily on its platform. So why not just call? If you're going to send a voice message, why not just call someone? Well, according to one person in this uh, survey, she's from... uh, Florida, she's a designer, she says, it gives me anxiety to think that I'm going to catch someone at a bad time when I call. And I've done that, too. Um, You know, when we reach out to guests for this program, um, it'll be at all hours of the day, and you never know if somebody might be in an important meeting or something. You don't want to call, so I'll text or or send a, a voice message. And again, this is something that you never really had to worry about before the advent of mobile phones where everybody has a phone on them at all times it used to be if someone was an important meeting you couldn't reach them on the phone so you'd call them and leave a message but we just don't call anymore for fear that we're going to interrupt something important um so i just thought that was uh, kind of interesting some of the uh, downsides of sending a voice message it can be hard to discreetly send a voice message i mean if you're in a a crowded room or in uh, in a meeting yourself, you can't very well send a voice message to someone as easily as you can text because it's much more silent. Um, and also the other downside is that some people just don't know when to talk, stop talking in their voice messages, these long rambling messages. <clears throat> kind of like this monologue. But anyway... And a couple of other items among the first things you need to know this morning. Um, This will be interesting to see. And this is a story that's just floating under the radar. Not a whole lot of people talking about this, but I think that this may be something that catches on online. We may see a lot of people sharing this. Um, A new study from UCLA... um, looked at civil data on pregnancy and disorders in Denmark. Now, why they looked at Denmark, I'm not sure. But um, this UCLA study has correlated, has found a correlation, not necessarily causation, but a correlation between drinking tap water contaminated with lithium while pregnant They say it could be linked to an increased risk of autism in newborns. This study from UCLA finds that drinking tap water contaminated with lithium while pregnant could uh, could be linked to an increased risk of autism in newborns. For the water with... I guess maybe that's why they studied uh, uh, data in Denmark, because they they mine lithium in Denmark? I don't know. Uh, Anyway... For the water with uh, the top 25% lithium levels, the risk was 46% higher in comparison to the lowest uh, concentration of lithium. And of course, lithium, one of the big components in batteries that power our cell phones and power our electric vehicles. That's right. So I'm wondering, is this one of those things, this is going to be one of those stories that will gain traction in the anti-EV crowd as another reason why we shouldn't be uh, doing this. Uh, Lithium also has been linked to a higher risk of miscarriage, heart anomalies, and other newborn defects. So kind of interesting, and I would imagine somebody, I'm going to log on to my social media at some point, and, um, and I will see someone 
making the argument that this is one more reason why we shouldn't uh, be mining lithium to power our vehicles. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. There you go. Uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. A chance of showers and storms today, a high of 66. A chance of showers tonight, a low of 64. Ohio's new and stricter distracted driving law, which makes distracted driving a primary offense, goes into effect today. Governor DeWine says the new law includes a wide ban on using and holding a phone while driving. To put it simply, put it down, put it in the console, put it in the glove compartment, just get it out of your hands so that your hands are on the wheel and your eyes are on the road. There will be a six-month grace period for drivers to get used to the new law before tickets start being issued. Get more on this new distracted driving law on our website. Police in Bowling Green are now investigating a woman's death as a homicide. The death happened Thursday. The cause of death is unconfirmed. Police found 23-year-old Alicia Rosa unresponsive in a home on North Main Street near the downtown area. We spoke to her mother last night. She tells us her daughter was pregnant when she died. There is a GoFundMe to help with funeral costs. A person of interest faced a judge on unrelated charges. WTOL 11's Amanda Fay reporting that person of interest was arrested recently in Fostoria. Get more on the case on our website. An Ohio woman's lifelong dream of earning a college degree recently came true. 102-year-old Nancy Power Hodas had her lifelong dream of getting a college degree come true. She's a resident at a senior living home in Zanesville, so friends and staff members gathered for a special ceremony. Power Hodas was thrilled to receive an honorary associate of public service degree from Zane State College. Owen and Yolanda Harris reporting. Hancock Public Health took its Think Fast Interactive Driving Program to some area schools. The Interactive Traffic Safety Program made stops at Arcadia and Van Lu High Schools. Students who attended the program learned about traffic safety in a fun and interactive environment. The program goes over the dangers of driving distracted, impaired, and over the speed limit. Programs funded through a Safe Communities Grant the Health Department received from the Ohio Department of Transportation for Teen Driving Safety. Remember, you can get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So spring is here and with the change of season, pet owners need to take inventory, if you will, of all of the potential hazards for our four-legged family members. And so we are joined by the pet trendologist, Charlotte Reed, with some advice on getting prepared for the spring season with our pets. And Charlotte, the first and most obvious thing that comes to mind when we talk about springtime and pets is fleas and ticks. And honestly, we should be uh, thinking about this all year round, but especially this time of year. Like you said, Fleas and ticks are all year round, but once the warmer weather comes, they become more active. And pets, as well as dogs, should be on flea and tick protection. Um, a lot of people say, oh, my cat never goes outside. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean they cannot get into your house. Cats don't have so much as a problem with ticks as dogs do. But in communities around the country, when you start to see an increase in Lyme disease with dogs, Soon after, an increase in Lyme disease with people will follow. Yeah. Plus, no one wants to have the added cost of having an exterminator come 
and try to get those fleas out of your house. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really a huge problem because so many of us sleep with our pets these days. Years ago, uh, the uh, treatments are pretty much the flea and tick collars, and that was it. Not the best uh, level of protection. We certainly have a lot more options now, better options now. There are a lot more options. Most people use topical. Um, in the past few years, we've seen one particular collar, the Soresto collar. It's under a lot of scrutiny. Um, but all flea and tick products, it's important to read the instructions. And don't, if you have dogs and cats, don't try to substitute because they're formulated really differently. And you could really injure your cat if you put dog flea and tick products on your cat. So store dog and cat medication in different places and don't ever store it with your medication. And uh, then the next thing uh, to be concerned about or be thinking about are uh, spring allergies, uh, not just for people, but also pets can suffer uh, from allergies as well. Absolutely true. You know, allergies like we talked about can be seasonal, but they start to scratch and itch. And then all of a sudden, you also have to think along, also along that line, that your dog is like a hairy dust mop. Right. Bring in that pollen into your house if you have allergies. So one of the things I always hate to tell pet parents is, especially at night, you should be breathing clean air. So you need to actually get a multi-purpose shampoo that can gently clean your pet. And you might have to do it more than once a month. I know a lot of pet parents don't even like to wash their pets more than once a month, (laughs) but brush them outside so that you can collect the hair in a bag or a face mask if you have to. Um, Keep those beds cleaned on a weekly basis, especially if you have dog beds, your pet sleeps in your bed. Just put like a coverlet over the top, let him sleep on that. But really the best thing to do is have a true HEPA filter in your home because that will cut down on the dander, the mold, the spore, and the allergens that are floating around. Along those same lines, uh, definitely making sure that we are vacuuming uh, more often. And uh, obviously, I know we have a a robotic vacuum in our house to kind of alleviate Mm -hmm. that chore that nobody likes. Um, But there are certain things we want to look for because some of uh, of the vacuums of all types are better uh, uh, in homes for pets than others. Here's the deal. So, especially have long-haired pets, think golden retrievers, think German shepherds, Mm -hmm. okay? The great thing about robotic vacuums is they're low to the ground and they get in those hard-to-reach places like under the bed as well as under the couch where a lot of that dog hair collects. So, that's a good time to get to invest in one and they are, as they've gotten, have been around for a longer period of time, they're definitely getting a lot cheaper. They are dependable, they're efficient, and you know what I love about them? The AI intelligence, it maps out your house, it understands your house, so you can do one of those things like set it and forget it. Right. Now, those are the obvious ones, uh, but there are a number of other dangers that pet owners need to be aware of this spring. Clue us in on some of those. One of the first things that we always think about around now is, what am I going to do with my yard? Okay. So, and that might mean hiring a lawn care service. Um, when you hire a lawn care service, ask if they have pet safe options for you. 
So a lot of times what they'll do, they might have you know, flea and tick granules, which you can put down, but they always put signs that say, don't let a pet or a child come onto the um, lawn within two or three hours after a visit. So, or you have an exterminator, you might want to have your house sprayed or something. Ask for pet safe solutions. The other thing is if you're a do-it-yourself kind of gal, and I have to tell you, I do both. This is a time we break out in our sheds and see what we have, take an inventory or stock of what we have. A lot of those products that we use, like fertilizer, still might have residue on the bottles. Dogs and, and yard care products do not mix, so keep them inside. The other thing is, it's always a great idea, depending on where you live, to assess what kind of amphibian life that you have in your yard. Mm-hmm. So I live in Florida. We have poisonous toads down here that the cane bouffant toad kills they kill dogs. Curious dogs and cats sniff them, lick them, and the next thing you know, huge vet bill. So, you know, be prepared to know what kind of amphibian life, what snakes, even though snakes might be good for, like, I have black racer. I can't get rid of him. He lives in my yard. Sometimes he climbs up one of the small trees or the shrubs. Yeah. But it's, you know, I'm always worried that something might happen. If you also live in a place where there's coyotes, they wander, they look for food, make sure if you have small dogs, Mm -hmm. you have cameras or you watch them when they're outside. Flowers and shrubs. Another time of the year when we start thinking about landscaping our yards with flowers, before you buy, check out the ASPCA toxic plant list. A lot of plants, popular ones like azaleas and oleanders, those are dangerous for pets and kids. And then protein shakes and protein bars, because a lot of those are sweetened with xylitol, ah, which is very deadly. Very deadly. Yeah. And one thing that's been really increasing all over the country is marijuana ingestion. As more states, whether they take on a medical or a recreational marijuana you know, license, it becomes illegal, mm-hmm. we find more pets suffering from marijuana toxicity. And the, and the big reason is it's primarily with dogs and not cats. It's because cats don't really have sweet taste buds. But what happens is a dog will sniff it and suck it up. And the next thing you know, whether yeah. you, you use marijuana or not, they, they can get exposed. These are things that are happening. Right. I want you guys to know these are the type of things that happen. Lastly, like I said, never mix your human and pet medication um, because you might end up taking it or giving your pet human medication. And a lot of people don't know this, but really since the pandemic, one in six Americans take sleeping medication. A lot of us have hard time sleeping. Where do we store those? By the bed. Pets sleep in our bed. They chomp down on the medication. And you don't say, oh, it has a childproof... The pets can't. They can care less yeah. about the child. And they can get through. Right. They're going to chop right through the plastic. Right through the plastic. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of things to uh, keep in mind this season, really all the time, but especially as we come into the spring season. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed with us this morning talking about the risks to our pets that we want to be aware of. You've got more information online, right? Sure. Follow me on social media. Um, there is a nice little spread up there, a picture gallery that we have on the Pet Buzz as well as Charlotte Reed about pet poison awareness, bring dangers, and they can always follow me at the Pet Buzz, that's my radio show, or Charlotte Reed, a trendologist. Charlotte, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris. Have a safe and lovely spring. So... 
As I'm sure you know by now, earlier this year, the city of Findlay announced a broad annexation plan that left many residents confused. And now city leaders are going back attempting to clarify this plan, what it does and doesn't mean for the owners of affected properties. And uh, Mayor Christina Mern is with us uh, this morning. So uh, kind of break this down, this annexation plan, the idea behind it, the impetus for it, and how it's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah, great questions, Chris. So annexation, this really came out of years of thought and discussion. Um, we, When I came into office and I started looking more at our municipal map and we would get calls from residents saying, hey, I have this issue. And I'd be like, well, you're not in the city. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean I'm not in the city? Yeah. Uh, and some properties were you know, very much aware. But there's, it started really because there was random pockets of properties that were never incorporated that should have been incorporated. Now, just to interject, to be fair, this is not unusual for many cities to have pockets of uh, areas that are not it, it the, the lines are not always clean when Correct. expansion I, I, I would say it's a little more unusual to have properties that are completely surrounded so by municipal have. corporation we li- we have islands in the city that have not been annexed it is not unusual to not have strict straight boundaries right because property lines are not straight boundaries so what we were discussing was saying listen per our annexation policy per the annexation agreements that were previously executed properties once they were contiguous if they had been received um city water and sewer Mm -hmm. they signed an agreement when the property was connected that said within 90 days of being contiguous they would annex into the city municipal corp that was not happening. Um, it hasn't happened consistently over a couple of decades. And the city is saying, you know, we we really need to hold consistent to our policy. So, so this is a policy that's actually on the books and yes. just simply wasn't being so, enforced. So there are agree- annexation agreements that have been executed um, previously. Now, not all of the properties had annexation agreements executed. For whatever reason, there was a period of time where they were not implemented. However, the city is extending services, providing services, and, you know, would like to make sure that we're kind of staying up on that. So the thought was, okay, let's reach out to those properties. Let's let's see who we can get to annex. Let's try to clean up those islands. Let's, you know, clean up some of our boundaries. Um, when we did the mailing, though, it was kind of vague, and I completely understand why, you know, people got confused that they had the option. Um, it was, you know, the property owner's choice. And really, it's the property owner's choice because even though legally we could force it, the city's not going to do that. That's so that, not beneficial for anyone at this point in time, right? That was that was the question. Why not, if the if the ordinance is in place, if the, if the mechanism is in place to force the annexation, again, given that generally providing city services uh, to these yeah. properties for the most part anyway, why not just force it? Well, unfortunately, at this point in time, especially for the properties that should have been annexed in, say, two decades ago, mm-hmm. um, our only option is to take the property owner to court to force the annexation or to stop providing city services such as water. Um, and that's not being a good Nobody neighbor. wants to see. Yeah, their, we're not yeah, doing that. So, so what we're trying to do is, you know, I think, one, we're going to be more consistent moving forward. We need to say, listen, this is the policy. If once you're contiguous, you've got to annex. Um, but we really then sent out a clarifying letter to folks saying, listen, you have the option. Um, if we get 
the only way you're going to be forced is if we get 51% or more of the property owners within your little section to say that, yes, they do want to annex. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been a lot of conversations with property owners to help folks understand the pros and cons. Yeah, because the the initial question is, with the confusion that ensued about this, was it a communications issue or was it an issue with the plan itself? Yeah, so it was just communications issue. Um, when we sent the letter out, we kind of kept it vague. And initially, we thought that that was going to be beneficial, but clearly it was not. Um, and so that's why we sent out the clarifying that, you know, you do have a choice um, and we're going to work with property owners. The other big question people had is, well, I don't have sidewalk and that's going to cost a bunch of money for me to put in sidewalks. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we said, listen, uh, we're not going to force people putting in sidewalks. They're grandfathered in if they do annex. What we would say is if there are areas of town that it benefits the entire community to have sidewalk, the city would look at putting it in. You know, I keep using Bright Road as an example. We see people all the time coming from, for example, Senior Towers or the neighborhood, you know, Fox Run neighborhoods, walking to Tiffin Avenue, and there's an entire block that doesn't have any sidewalk, and people end up walking in the street or they have their, you know, motor not scooters. The you want to be and that in. is not safe. So, what can we do to make it a safer environment to benefit the entire area? Um, that would be something we would consider. It does seem like uh, pushback to annexation in Finley particular, and in particular, the sidewalk issue becomes, and uh, I often joke with uh, people that I've been uh, in this community now for 30 years, and this is a, <laughs> an issue. Sidewalks have been an issue that they've been talking about in yeah. you know since I came here. Uh, so this is a longstanding uh, issue with respect to that. But also, when you say annexation, uh in that context, a lot of people hear tax grab because mm-hmm. these you want to collect the taxes for the people who live in these uh, properties, which presumably you're not doing now if they're not in the city of Findlay, right? Well, okay, so unless they're working in the city, if they're working in the city, yeah. which a lot of people are, be, yeah. we are already getting it. So yeah. really, it could be potentially a net negative benefit for the city because. Currently, if you don't live in the city, then you're paying higher water and sewer. So the water and sewer actually would go down. The property tax for the property, yes, we would start gathering property tax, but that's actually lower than what the township would be paying or what a property in the township would be paying. So it really matters each situation. That's why we really told residents, call us and let's talk through your situation because each property is a little bit different. One thing I would say is, um, you know, I understand the concern. um, When we're looking at this, obviously I'm responsible for the city of Finley, but the city of Finley is part of Hancock County. And we, you know, we consider Hancock County. I sat down and met with the township trustees or reached out to each of them sharing, hey, this is kind of the plan. These are the properties we're looking at. Do you have feedback? And adjusted the plan some then from that before we we reached out. Well, I would imagine that in, in certain cases, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine in certain cases, the township uh, trustees uh, would be amenable to the, the plan if there's an isolated property that's technically in the township, but surrounded by the city, that makes it more difficult for them to provide whatever services that they would normally provide to township. Yeah, I think there definitely were some properties that the township trustees were like, yes, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I understand why you're pursuing that. Yeah. Um, And ultimately, you know, they obviously have a responsibility to their citizens. And so if there was a big pushback, you know, they're going to just back the citizens. They understand the process and, and that's totally fine. So, uh, Am I to understand that there are some, as we mentioned, some of these island properties, mm-hmm. uh, but not all, not all of these properties Correct. are that. So is there a pecking order on the the properties that you most want to take care of first? 
Yeah, so I definitely we did prioritize on based off of what we called the donuts or the the islands. Yeah, um, that was our primary focus. But then we said, okay, then the areas that are immediately contiguous that had annexation agreements in place to kind of clean up the boundaries. And then there were some t- kind of tertiary saying, okay, these then are also contiguous but don't have annexation agreements in place and make sense from a kind of continuity of our um, boundaries. So does this lay the groundwork for, I mean, obviously, again, Findlay is a growing city. You see a lot of, uh, of uh, construction and housing and so on going up uh, in the outskirts of the city. Does that mean that you would be more aggressive moving forward with annexing any of those uh, properties that are developed in the future? Yeah, I think our goal is to communicate with property owners and work with them when they're interested to annex, recognizing that, you know, we are seeing a fair amount of development recently of, you know, industrial properties that are interested in being in the city of Finley. So when they're reaching out to us from an economic development standpoint, they want to be in the city of Finley. Um, So making sure that we're working with property owners for them to understand that, to understand the process and know that the city wants to be a partner in that um, is really important. Um, And so I think we are seeing some benefit of this process um, just to communicate to people that, hey, we're willing to be proactive and work with you if it is beneficial. So these 400 some odd uh, properties that we're talking about with this annexation plan, are they uh, primarily residential? Are they all residential or? Um, I don't think that they were all residential. Some of them are undeveloped. Um, And then I think there were some, let me think, agricultural so it was about 350 parcels, which I think is important because some properties might be multiple parcels. Right. Um, but they were not all residential. They weren't all developed. It was kind of a, a mixture. And kind of a hodgepodge. Yep. And what is the uh, kind of deadline, if you will, to have all of this resolved? Yeah. So in our, the most recent letter that we sent out, we asked property owners to respond by May 1st, saying that they are are interested. It is an opt-in um, situation. So they received a petition that can be executed or they can reach out to us and we can work with them. Additionally, property owners that we did not identify to pursue, um, there's an opportunity for them to say, I'm interested in annexing. We have received a number of those. So we'll be following up with those properties to work through an annexation process with them as well. Real quickly on a uh, on another subject, uh, just uh, want to get you to comment on the uh, final minute or so that we have the capital improvement plan. Yeah. Um, there has been some uh, discussion of the fact that this 10-year broad capital improvement plan is not fully funded. Um, what does that mean and is that any reason for concern that we're looking at projects for the future that the city doesn't know how to pay for? Oh, no, not at all. Um, when we are looking at this, that is a plan. Um, so being able to understand, hey, what projects do we have planned? What is their potential cost? Then as income tax revenues come in, which we do on an annual basis, 20% of our income tax revenue goes to these projects. Then we're able to move them around, determine how we need to ad- adjust to be able to fund those, to seek out grants. These projects take three, four, five years sometimes to plan out. So putting them on our radar is just like if you know you need to put a new roof on. You can start setting money aside or you can say, hey, you know, well, in two years I might have an insurance claim and then it's going to be replaced anyways. You know, so there's different things. I think from our perspective, it's having an idea of what to expect. And then we're able from an operational standpoint to adjust to be able to fund it. 
Um, so I think it's great that we have that. Um, and, you know, obviously from the water standpoint, that's probably my largest concern at this point. We haven't raised rates in 12 years. And so making sure that we are looking for um, how do we make sure that our revenue sources are covering our expenses and that we're making the in, the capital investments that we need to um, so that we don't get in a position where our system is ever in jeopardy of not providing the quality that we require. So we're working through, we have a couple discussions going um, on, on some revenue sources um, that will hopefully be able to better address that. And I expect to have a plan later this year to be able to share with the community. All right. Uh, we'll look forward to that again. Uh, Finley Mayor Christina Mern, thanks very much for being with us yeah, this thanks, morning. Chris. I appreciate it. 20 years of making mornings good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. The missing Dairy Queen spoon has finally been found. This is big news. You know, Dairy Queen uh, is famous for their uh, ubiquitous uh, red spoons, right? For their uh, frozen treats and and so on. Their long-handled red spoons. It is kind of a Dairy Queen institution. Um, And at an Arizona Dairy Queen location, they had a huge 15-foot spoon, um, you know, as sort of a promotional uh, sort of thing outside their their store. Big 15-foot red spoon. Well, apparently, uh, it went missing not long ago. But it has now been found. The hunt for the stolen cutlery spread across social media. And one Michael Foster uh, found it while he was playing Pokemon Go, incidentally. (laughs) Of all things. Uh, Michael solved the mystery when he spotted the novelty spoon while playing the game. He was searching, gotta catch them all, the Pokemon Go game. He was searching for the fictional... Uh, virtual reality creatures when he came across the very real 15-foot spoon outside of a Phoenix middle school. Uh, How it ended up there? I don't know. But he called police who came and removed the item and returned it to its rightful owners. (laughs) I don't know if someone at the middle school swiped it or someone else swiped it and put it at the middle school and trying to frame them. I don't know. But the... Uh, owner of the now famous Dairy Queen store, uh, Raman Kiara, says, We are happy to have our spoon back and we are looking forward to the neighborhood creating more smiles and stories with this now world famous spoon. So, <laughs> the mystery of the missing spoon has been solved. <clears throat> big, big news here. Elsewhere in the broken news this morning. Now, this is all kinds of weird. A six-month-old Rottweiler in Great Britain apparently uh, is very picky about who he will listen to and when he will listen to them. Now, if you've ever owned a dog, you know that sometimes they can be very persnickety when they will listen to you know, your commands. Some dogs are like that. They can be very obstinate. Uh, this dog named Patty will only obey commands that are delivered with an Irish accent. (laughs) Paddy, you see, spent the first six months of his life in Northern Ireland where he learned his basic commands. 
Now that he is in a home in England, he can't seem to get the hang of his owner's British accent. Because it sounds different to the dog. (laughs) So Jay, uh, Patty's owner, who resides in in Britain, uh, in England, has to use an Irish accent when speaking to his dog. (laughs) Jay said uh, he won't come in from the garden unless he gives the command uh, to come in in the Irish accent. I won't try to... uh, replicated because i will mess this up but uh uh jay's significant other megan his girlfriend megan said the the couple is now teaching patty hand commands <laughs> instead of verbal commands i'm not sure if that will work any better because then you know the dog will actually have to be looking at you but <laughs> oh that's all kinds of weird but you got a you got a story there too dog will only listen if you're speaking in the proper accent um i think the dog fully understands what's going on the dog just wants to mess with him you know i think the dog is just messing with him (laughs) a couple of other items here from the broken news this morning a michigan man almost missed out on a major payday to the tune of a quarter million dollars and all because He didn't believe it was real. Uh, The 62-year-old Michigan lottery winner who chose to remain anonymous uh, said, I got a letter in the mail from the lottery informing me that they had been trying to reach me regarding the monthly jackpot progressive prize that I had won. Uh, He said, I freaked out when I saw how much it was for more than a quarter million dollars, but I was a little hesitant Wondering if it was real. And I can understand why. I mean, typically, you wouldn't think that the lottery would reach out. I, I was a little surprised by this, actually. Because how would the lottery know uh, who he was? I, I don't know how the lottery works in Michigan, but you don't have to give your name and your personal information when you buy a lottery ticket in Ohio, do you? I don't, I don't buy lottery tickets, typically, so I don't, I don't know. But um, how would they know that he was the winner? Uh, But after doing some research, the anonymous winner noticed that they had missed emails and phone calls regarding the prize as well and got to start to thinking uh, at one point that maybe he should look into this a little further. And it was a good thing he did because he said once he called the lottery, he got the paperwork so that he wouldn't miss out on the prize. It was at risk of going unclaimed. He said, I am so relieved that I received the letter and was able to claim my winnings. $261,935. How would you like to find out too late that it wasn't a scam? Thinking that it, you know, thinking that it was a scam. To find out too late that it was very real and you had missed out on that. So, I guess. But he did the right thing. I mean, it was suspicious. He contacted the lottery to verify it, all of that. So, it was... He did all the right things there, but I can definitely see where you would be a little wary of that. Thank goodness. <laughs> good good for him. And finally, in the broken news this morning, here's another AI story that uh, just demonstrates the power of artificial intelligence and how it might start putting people out of work here before too long.
a driver in the UK put his fate in the hands of an artificial intelligence platform when he was facing a fine for illegal parking. Uh, Sean Bosley was given a ticket uh, for dropping off a colleague at uh, the airport, and apparently he parked in a no-parking zone when he dropped his friend off at the airport. So he was hit with a ticket. The fine was over a hundred dollars, about one hundred twenty-five bucks, and he decided he was going to fight it, but he couldn't necessarily afford a lawyer. What he uh, did have with some familiarity with the AI program chat GD, uh, GPT. Um, so he let the AI chatbot do the talking for him in court. Now, again, chat GPT is this rather controversial program that can generate uh, all types of uh, printed material from term papers to news copy advertisements and now apparently it can present letters to the court legal documents just by feeding it some basic information and it'll spit out everything it needs in the end uh sean says i typed write an appeal to a penalty charge notice for driving through the gatwick airport i have received final notice but never received first notice of the penalty and straight away, he said it came back with a great response. He said, it's crazy how this thing writes like it's a real human being. I didn't have to look at it and think, this sounds like a robot. I need to change some of it. It was just so conversational. Part of the robot written letter expressed, I understand that it is my responsibility as a driver to be aware of the rules and regulations regarding driving through an airport. However, I never received the first notice of the penalty and therefore do not have the opportunity to contest the charge or pay the fine in a timely manner. The uh, AI-generated note did successfully get the traffic authorities to reconsider their position, and while they didn't rescind the fine entirely, they do did reduce the cost of the ticket to around $18. So, score one for the robots there. Wow. Just the same, I don't think Donald Trump will be using AI robots to defend himself in court. I, I'm not sure. There you go. Uh, that is the that is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Ever wonder what being a Finley Rotarian is all about? I'm Angela Dabosky, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County. Being a Rotarian offers meaningful connections with community leaders and to what's going on in organizations across Hancock County. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, all part of a worldwide service club, contact Findlay Rotary at FindlayRotary.org and click on join. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. And this is very timely with the uh, NCAA basketball championship uh, being last night and the uh, start of the baseball season last week. There are sports fans and then there are sports fanatics, you know, fan being short for fanatic. And some people are truly fanatics. A new survey finds that the average diehard baseball fan 
would spend $762.20 and travel nearly six hours in order to root for their team. <laughs> that's that's the average. 762 52% say that they have a favorite team and say they never miss a game. Now, that said, 42% who have a favorite team say that they will watch any game, no matter who is playing. The survey, by the way, commissioned by Visit Anaheim, showed just how far some people are willing to go. 45% of the 2,000 self-described fanatics have left the country to see their team play. 45% in this survey. 35% have based a vacation around seeing their favorite team play when they get to that location. <laughs> their spouses must be must have been thrilled um let's see here 35% say they have taken a completely unplanned trip to catch their team on the road um one responded to the survey admitted he missed his best friend's wedding to catch an important game <laughs> Another respondent shared the story of braving a two-hour drive, three flights, and a train ride just to watch the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in person. Perhaps it's no surprise then that 44% of those in the poll said that they already have a trip planned this year to see their favorite team in action someplace that they have never been before. Stephanie Parsons, CEO of the Finley YMCA, is with us, along with uh, Chandler Kramer. Talk about what's happening in the month of April. Programs and events on the Finley YMCA. Ladies, thank you both for uh, dropping by. We certainly appreciate it. Um, So, big thing coming up in the uh, month of April, uh, an event called Healthy Kids Day, right? That's kind of first and foremost out of the gate we want to talk about what's uh, going on. Well, thanks for having us. Yes, we have a, a huge event coming up for our community. It's a, a day set aside to get families and children healthy in our community. And I'm going to kind of hand it over to Chandler Kramer because she's been doing um, a lot of the back uh, work on this so program. All the uh, legwork on this, uh, putting it <laughs> together. It's perfect timing for this because obviously the weather getting uh, warmer and the kids are, are out and everybody's more active. And of course, before too long, the kids will be out for the summer so yes exactly we are so excited this year's healthy kids day will be friday april 14th at the university of finley kaler center from 5 to 8 p.m and we collaborate with the university of finley blanchard valley health systems and hancock public health to put on a great event for kids and their families so what's going to be going on give us a kind of a preview of uh, everything that'll be happening at uh, healthy kids day yeah we'll have some healthy snacks a bounce house face painting lots of different activities around sports programming we'll have archery for the kids gaga ball and a bunch of other organizations will have their information and resources as well so just just uh, maybe a way to inspire kids to uh, get out and become more exactly, active. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this is a free event, right? Yes. Yep. Thank you. Free for anybody in the community. Uh, exactly, because it is a collaborative effort. It's open mm-hmm. to all, and again, it's at the uh, Kaler Center. 
Correct. So weather will not be an issue. Nope. <laughs> we don't have to worry about spring storms or anything exactly. like that. Or a random cold day in the month of April. Uh, what are the times uh, on this? It will be 5 to 8 p.m. Okay. And again, on April the 14th. 14th. Okay. So circle that on the calendar. One of the uh, big events. This is a number of uh, things that, that you do that are community centered. I mean, a, a lot of times you think about the YMCA and memberships and, and all of that, but a lot of community centered uh, programming. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're much more than just a gym you know we do outreach we do feed a child well a gym in an indoor pool in an indoor pool yes (laughs) and quite the indoor pool is is used uh, quite frequently (laughs) so um yeah, we have uh, Riverside Pool opening in Memorial Day. Speaking of pools, yeah, we're going to be doing that again. Yep, yep. Looking forward to a warm summer and opening the, the doors to Riverside. That's in collaboration with the city. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great access to all and for all. Um, and then there are a number of programs at the Y um, that are always going on. Hit some of the highlights of things that are coming up in the uh, month of April here. We got our indoor soccer starting soon. Uh, T-ball registration will be opening um, next month. Uh, We have about 283 kids that usually participate in T-ball. We have great events coming up in uh, in the month of uh, April, May, June. So. And uh, again, for things like the uh, soccer and uh, t-ball, you have to be uh, don't have to be uh, Y members to. That is correct. That. Yeah. that is correct. We have a non-member rate and a member rate. Okay, so mm-hmm. you do get a discount if you are a Y member, and yes. there are always lots of programs at the Y. Absolutely. Y this too. year, um, we decided that with our membership, all of our aerobic classes were free for um, all of our members. Uh, we value our members, and so we just want to value that membership. And so there's lots of um, uh, additional less fees, I should say. And by the way, again, uh, we think of membership, why membership or you know any of these uh, such memberships right around the first of the year. You know, it's the time to sign up. But you can sign up anytime. 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 And actually, we see a big increase about this time of year for our summer uh, camp that's mm-hmm. about to release that we are taking registrations currently for that program. Again, um, don't have to be a member, but it's cheaper if you are. Absolutely. So absolutely. this would be a good time to invest in that for the entire family. Yes. Talk a little bit about, and I know we uh, talked some weeks ago uh, about uh, summer camps and registration is open now, but uh, give a little more details, go through that again for the benefit of those who might've missed it last time around. Because that is, uh, registration is open now, right? Yeah, we have uh, uh, several different options for camp. We have our traditional camp, um, which takes out a place at Riverside Park. Uh, We have our discovery camps that are inside. So some of the children that maybe don't like the outdoor weather, um, we have the indoor camps um, all summer long. It's a great opportunity for parents that are kind of looking for access for children um, to explore the outdoors, but also we have the programs indoors too. So, And what's the process for registering for summer camp or the, we mentioned the uh, T-balls uh, and the uh, soccer uh, yeah. programs, you know, all of that. What's the uh, process to register? We have several d- different options. You can go to our website um, to register, or you can just stop into either of our locations. Actually, we have three locations. We have our child development center we have our downtown branch and our east branch and you can stop at any location to uh, register for memberships and programming and uh, is there a deadline for registration for any of these things 
There is. Our summer camp um, deadline is we take uh, the registration all the way through the summer, but um, if you want to sign up for... Uh, Probably the, sooner rather than later, yes. I would think. I would imagine there's a limit uh, on the number of kids. We do. Kids, we so, have ratios yeah. that we have to stay in, right. so, um, so the sooner would be better, but we do accept... <laughs> Um, uh, registration throughout the whole summer. Okay, so long as there is room. And uh, for the uh, sports programs and such? Yes. I know you've got it someplace in the stack of stuff. I there, know, so. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just no, want to hey, make sure. You're throwing all of this at you at the, uh, at the same time. Uh, yeah. I do the same thing. It's written down <laughs> here somewhere. I know that I've got it somewhere. Uh, registration will be um, from uh, May 15th through July 3rd, and the session will start um, on July the 17th, and that's for our T-ball program. Okay. All right. Very good. And uh, again, more information. We threw a lot of stuff at uh, at folks. Uh, More information is on the uh, website, and uh, more information on the programs that are available at the Y4 members, too, right? Yes, 100%. Uh, we've got a link up to that on our webpage. You can go to goodmornings.net for all of the details on uh, programming and events coming up in the month of April from the Finley YMCA. And again, I mentioned a Healthy Kids Day. Uh, the day for that is the 14th. Correct. Okay, so circle that on the calendar. Again, uh, Chandler Kramer, Stephanie Parsons from the Finley YMCA. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the show, Hancock Historical Museum Executive Director Sarah Sisser weighs in on the question of preserving Findlay's past while building for the future and how to strike the right balance between the two, something she says the city doesn't always do a good job of. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out, make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.